Eight steps to creating a topic cluster with limited marketing resource with Alice Rowan. The InSearch SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. What are the key elements that are part of creating the optimum topic cluster? That's what we're going to be covering today with a lady who last year spoke to a packed out room at Brighton SEO and she's back for seconds this year. She's speaking this year as well. She's worked in SEO and copywriting for 10 years and is currently website copywriter and SEO content consultant at Alice Rowan Content Marketing. A warm welcome to the In Search SEO podcast, Alice Rowan. Hi, thank you for having me. All of that's basically just a fancy way of saying that I'm a freelancer. Okay, well, hopefully you're not a freelancer that does everything. You're certainly quite a specialist as well with the sound of it as well, and that's a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Website copy and SEO content are my jam, my bread and butter, my other food-related analogy. And you can find Alice's jam over at alicerowancontentmarketing.com. So, Alice, today we are discussing eight steps to creating a topic cluster with limited marketing resource. Uh, so it's probably worthwhile just stepping back for a second and saying what is a topic cluster? So a topic cluster is a collection of content that is hosted mostly on your website. We'll get into other repurposed social media stuff in a minute, but it's essentially tends to be formed of either like a pillar page or a cornerstone content page, which is this huge piece of content Lots of links. I'll get into defining cornerstone content a little bit later on and lots of surrounding content. So ideally what you want is anything from like 10 to like 50 different articles, eBooks, long form content, video content, all sorts of things, all focusing around the same topic and similar keywords. And then it helps with your SEO because you are more likely to rank for those keywords and uh, Google and the other search engines view you favorably as an expert, as we know, a vital part of the EEAT equation. And talking about topics, your number one step to creating a topic cluster is choose your topic wisely. Yes, you do need to choose it wisely because especially if you are doing this as a one-person marketing team or you're doing it as the only content writer in a marketing team, and I speak from experience on both of those, you are going to be writing and researching and rewriting and editing and doing all sorts with this one topic for perhaps three to six months of your life. So you need to make sure that it's a topic that for starters has legs and that there's a lot that you can cover with it. And also that it's something that you're not going to get bored of really quickly. I know that as content writers, we don't always have a huge deal of power over the topics that we have or what we get to write about. For example, you might be working in-house at a company that doesn't exactly set your creative soul on fire, but the more interesting a topic you can choose, the better, because usually I find people can tell when you don't care about the topic that you're writing about. And if you're creating a topic cluster, you are going to be writing a lot of content about this one topic. I thought I might heard you saying, uh, heard you say the, the the phrase search volume as part of choosing your topic wisely. Is is that not a key element of doing that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do also need to be looking at search volume, search intent, but there's going to be within a topic cluster, 
you're going to be looking at really you're going to be targeting different levels of search intent you're going to be targeting different areas of the the content funnel so top of the funnel middle of the funnel bottom of the funnel yeah choosing wisely you need to be looking at things like search volume the opportunity so it's really good for example if you are ranking on like page two so if you are result 11 or 11 to 20 for a particular key term that's a really good opportunity for you to boost your rankings into the top 10 ideally the top five maybe even the top spot for particular keywords and you want to be focusing those keywords around core services or products that you offer as a business and step two is create your lead magnets. Yes. So you're going to have to bear with me on this one because when it comes to creating your content cluster, if you are doing this with very limited resource, you need to be creating your content in reverse, in a slightly different order. So the common practice is the kind of hub and spoke model where you create the hub first and the spoke second. My recommendation is that you do it the other way around. So you start with a lead magnet. It can be like a webinar series or an ebook, white paper, a research paper, something like that. Something that you are going to be pouring your heart and your soul and your mind and your blood, sweat and tears into because then from there, you can repurpose and split out that content to create the basis of the spokes for your topic cluster. But by creating the lead magnets first, you can create a huge wealth of content without having to put in a huge wealth of effort. Great. Uh, I'm so tempted to drill further into that, but I'm going to move on to number three, step number three, plan and create your supporting content. Okay, so this is where we start to get into the repurposing side of things. And say the example that I used at Brighton SEO last year when I first spoke about this is the idea that you can either create an ebook or say for argument's sake and easy number's sake, that it's about 5,000 words long, including your intro and your conclusion. And you write that, you you put so much time and effort and love into it and research, you interview people. It, it's incredible thought leadership. Then you send an email out to your email list. You may put an ad up and you might write a couple of social posts and then you just sort of leave it on your website. And it doesn't do a huge amount for all of the effort that you put into it. It doesn't drive the leads that your business is looking for. So. What you can do instead is create that exact same lead magnet, but you then split out that ebook into four, we'll say 1,000 word blogs. And then you can split out those blogs into different newsletters, LinkedIn posts, Twitter threads, 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 now that threads is the new thing, Instagram reels, TikTok videos. You can create podcasts and video scripts out of them. You can repurpose the absolute life out of these blogs. And then for very little additional effort, you could have 70, 80, maybe even 100 pieces of content created out of that one lead magnet, as opposed to just a couple of social posts that you throw out into the ether and hope for the best. Great advice there. I mean, I certainly think in the same way when doing things like creating podcast episodes, because you can do things like um, researching kind of micro long tail question opportunities within the content and then creating perhaps blog posts from that as well. So there's so many opportunities to create multiple pieces of content from the, the one long form piece that you're, you're, you're creating there. Now, that was plan and create your supporting content, wasn't it? Uh, moving on to optimise your supporting content, which is number four. Okay, so optimising your content 
it's one of those steps that I think a lot of people take for granted and quite a lot of businesses that I see go one extreme or the other. They either don't bother and they think, well, I have 5, 10, 20 blogs about a topic. That'll do. Google will pick it up. It'll recognize that it's optimized. Or they go the other way and they stuff as many keywords into the content as they possibly can and then Google marks it as spam and they get penalized. So really, you need to be very careful with how you do it. I have a checklist, I think, that I created last year for on-page optimization recommendations, but you want to be looking at things like, do your images have alt text? Do you have your target keyword in your H1? Do you have semantic, so related keywords, in 50% of your H2s? Do you have semantic keywords scattered throughout the copy? You don't want loads. It doesn't need to be every sentence. It doesn't need to be every paragraph. The search engines are smarter than you think. Do you have alt text on your images? Are your image files named sensibly? Do you have the keywords featured in your meta title and in your meta description? And the list goes on. There's quite a lot of things you can be looking at, um, but it's amazing the difference that optimizing that content makes. And also, obviously, making sure you go into Google Search Console and check that it's being indexed. So much great advice there. Leading us up to step number five, prioritize quality research. I realized when I wrote this out, the quality research bit would have made more sense earlier on, <laughs> but it's fine. We're just going to go into it now. So... When you are creating high quality content, high quality research is a really important part of that. So it's, in, it's really important to establish who the thought leaders are within your industry. So whether that's an individual person or whether it's a company. I, for example, spent three or four years working in the HR tech and L&D industries, doing content marketing for them. And key publications in those areas are things like McKinsey & Co. and Harvard Business Review. So make sure that you take the time to establish who the well-respected, high-domain authority, high-level-of-expertise publications are and start there with your research before you go to other places. Also, you want to make sure that your research is relevant and recent. The rule of thumb that I tend to use is anything published within the last three years. I think certainly with a lot of businesses, the landscape was changed considerably over the course of the, the pandemic. Sorry to mention the P word. During the course of the pandemic. And so that is going to impact the research and the statistics and the outcomes of research that other places have, have done. So yeah, three years is my general rule of thumb. Taking us up to step number six, linking strategy and anchor text. So when it comes to creating a topic cluster, your linking strategy is one of the most important parts of tying this all together and getting the search engines to recognize that this stuff is actually linked. So a common misconception is that links only need to go one way. But when it comes to creating a topic cluster, you need to make sure that everything that is relevant is linking to everything else. And I don't mean that all 25, 30 blogs in your topic cluster need to link to all of them. They don't but you need to make sure that none of them are left alone without any links. And it's important that every single supporting piece of content that's published on your website 
is linked to in the cornerstone or pillar page, which we'll get to in a minute. And also that the cornerstone and pillar page is linked to in every single one of those supporting blogs because it needs to be an interconnected web. It can't just work one way. The signals have to be clear to the search engines that it's going all the way round and through the topic cluster. Now, when it comes to anchor text, uh, anyone who came to my talk at Brighton SEO last year and who follows me on LinkedIn, to be honest, will know I have very strong feelings about anchor text. I talk about it quite regularly because I, like every time I see anchor text that says click here, I want to pull my hair out. It makes me so sad. It makes me want to cry. It's 2023. We do not need to be using click here for our anchor text. Instead, I have two main ways that I recommend people uh, format their anchor text. So one is uh, the product or service title. So for example, if I publish a blog on my website, I will mention SEO content or SEO content writing, and that will hyperlink to my SEO content writing page. The other version is for external research. So for that, I tend to go with, uh, I think it's date content type publication. So for example, 2022 article from Harvard Business Review. That's a really good practice way to manage your anchor text for your links because it's good for usability. So anyone who's using a screen reader knows exactly where they're going if they click on the link. And also it teaches the search engines what is important. And I can't remember the exact technical reason for this, but I know that the anchor text that you use is also used as a signal to the search engines for what to prioritize in terms of ranking and what is relevant to the page. Now, you mentioned pillar content. You mentioned cornerstone content. Step number seven is create cornerstone content. What's the difference, if any, between pillar content and cornerstone content? Generally speaking, it's where it sits on the page. So pillar content tends to take the form more of a page that would be present on the uh, top level navigation, or sometimes it's a hidden page that's used purely for ranking or to direct people sometimes from Google ads. I'm not a huge fan of people directing Google ads to pillar pages because I think they should be more uh, deliberately conversion driven, but that's a conversation for another time. Cornerstone content more typically will just sit within the blog. So it's a case of where it sits in the hierarchy of your website. I am a big advocate for cornerstone content because it's easier to edit and change without making structural ramifications to the website. So a cornerstone is like a small pillar. Essentially, yeah. Cornerstone content, it's typically between three and 5,000 words long. It's still a beast. It's still a big boy. It's not a small piece of content by any means. It's just where it sits structurally on the website. So how do you go about creating cornerstone content then? Okay, so this is kind of, this is like the ultimate part of the content creation process because the cornerstone content is of everything you create in a topic cluster, the thing that is most likely to rank in the search engines. And the reason that I advise people in small marketing teams to create the content this way around is because you have to create it in reverse. So a cornerstone page is there to pull together everything that you've already created. In order to be able to point to the blogs, the webinars, the lead magnets, the podcasts, the videos that you've created, you have to have created that content first. So that's why the cornerstone content comes last. So you can still publish everything as you go. You don't have to wait to try and publish it all in one one go. 
And then creating the cornerstone content allows you also to make sure that you are keeping on the same track thematically, that you're not repeating yourself too much, that you are bringing new and fresh research onto the page and that you are able to essentially create like a content page for all of the resources under that topic that exist on your website. Understood. Okay, great. Okay, well, let's move on to step number eight, and that's distribute. Okay, so distribution is the final step of this. So cornerstone content really is the end game when it comes to content creation. But the distribution, which again, I'll link back to what I was saying earlier about repurposing the content. So not only are you repurposing your lead magnets into a number of blogs, which can turn into podcasts and all sorts of things, distribution is the point where you start looking for external publications to speak to your thought leaders. You start reaching out for podcasts. You do a lot of the external link building and outreach, but it's also the time where you can start breaking down these bigger pieces into social media content, which is going to get the word out there. It's going to get the traffic into your website and the higher the traffic of the page, especially if it has low bounce rate, it has high retention rate in terms of how long people are on the page. Those all send good signals to the search engines that this is content worth looking at and it's going to help you when it comes to ranking. Oh, let's finish off with the Pareto Pickle. So Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. What's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort? Every six to 12 months, go back over the highest ranking. I would say anything, any of your blog content that appears in the top 20 search results. Go over it, update your titles, update your stats, update your research, update your links, adjust the copy ever so slightly to make it more relevant. A lot of articles will rank when it's been published more recently and you can make those small changes and it can make a really big difference to your rankings. Love it. And I don't recall having that specific tip as part of the Pareto Pickle. So double win there. I've been your host, David Ben. You can find Alice over at alicerowancontentmarketing.com. Alice, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at rankranger.com.